FOPMX Network Production. A new view from inside the truck. X-Racer to Racer and Eye to Eye. A casual look into the personalities of the sport and an experienced perspective into the action from week to week. It's Jason Thomas's Industry Seating. Presented by Pirelli Tires and brought to you by Blenzall and Fly Racing. Welcome everybody. We are super excited to be on the premiere episode of Industry Seating. It's brought to you by Pirelli Tires and Blenzall Lubricants and of course Fly Racing. We're going to get into Anaheim 1 for this episode. Uh, you know, we're obviously all waiting to see what's going to happen here, but man, I'm excited to have uh, this podcast off the ground. Uh, it's just going to be a little bit different than some of the other stuff I talk about on the Pulp MX shows and Racer X platforms. And we'll get into some, some emails that you guys want to send in and specific questions, maybe on technique, maybe why guys ride a little bit differently. Um, I've been fortunate enough to practice with a lot of these guys in past years and, uh, know some of them. So that's exciting. And, uh, always get to learn as I watch and I, I'm constantly blown away by the things that these guys can pull off on a motorcycle. Even, you know, at the level I was at, I still watch them and it, it sometimes, sometimes I'm just in wonder at what they're able to do. So that'll be cool too. We'll talk about some fantasy, obviously Pulp MX fantasy kicks off this weekend. If you haven't signed up yet, go do that. Get entered for a chance to win a 2020 Yamaha 450. Such a cool, fun, great program we have going there. Uh, this is year three of that. And, uh, man, you want to talk about adding entertainment to your Saturday night? Pulp MX Fantasy can certainly do that. So without further ado, let's get into it. Uh, I have built my own little power ranking here, which we can talk about. And I will continuously update that throughout the season. Uh, I think it's fun. You see it in a lot of other stick and ball sports but it just gives a little bit of an ebb and flow of where the uh, the you know the guys in the sport that are getting it done and other guys that are maybe trending down a little bit and and we'll get into some reasons why. So let's talk about it. Uh, starting at number ten, I have Mookie Fever, Malcolm Stewart at number ten, and man, I I really had him higher um, coming in. Let's say two months ago, watching him at the Paris Supercross. Man, he was fast, and you know that Mookie fever was coming on strong, and and he really has been out since uh, since Glendale of last year. He did race Monster Cup, but it's going to be interesting to see how he bounces back after that big injury he sustained. But you look at Mookie, and and maybe he could be a lot higher than number ten. But when you look at it on paper, he's never had a top five finish in his career at a Supercross overall. So. That's pretty compelling evidence to keep him behind some of the guys that are ahead of him. Although I do think his elite speed and his peak potential may be higher than a few guys ahead of him as well. So there's a little bit of a balance there, and I'm kind of a wait and see on Mookie. He's going to have to go prove it as far as an overall result to to climb up a little bit. Just above him at number nine, I have Justin Brayton. Brayton's coming off yet another Australian Supercross Championship. I believe that's four in a row. He also won the Geneva Supercross, looking great over there. Man, I think he's won that six times. So look at his offseason, and he absolutely dominates, and he is rewarded. He's rewarded financially for it. I've heard some of the some of the numbers he makes at just during the offseason. It's pretty staggering. So good for him. 
He's found a schedule that works for him and his family. Makes a ton of money doing it, and it seems to have added some longevity because he's uh, he's getting up there in age now. So we'll see how he does. I always wonder with Brayton where his motivation and, and honestly his energy level because his travel schedule is so taxing during this offseason. And trust me, I did it too. Uh, I raced all over the globe in the offseason. And I'll be honest, during the Christmas and New Year's holidays, I wanted nothing to do with the dirt bike. I didn't want to go anywhere. I didn't care about the season. And of course that ramps back up, you know, especially in the days reading, leading right up to Anaheim, you get fired up and and all that, uh, the hype catches up to you, but it was a struggle. I was so burnt out and tired and just ready for a break where most of these other guys are, they're amped. They've been waiting for a one for months and they're so excited where a guy like Brayton may just kind of be like taking a deep breath and not really as excited. Uh, on the other hand, he does have a ton of gate drops. He probably has his bike more sorted out than the rest of the guys do because he's been racing so much. So it's kind of a balance there. So we'll see uh, We'll see what Anaheim in, in January in general brings for Justin Brayton. Just ahead of him, I have uh, Justin Barsha, your 2019 Anaheim 1 winner. As we all know, that was uh, a really muddy one. Dean Wilson led for forever, I think 16 minutes or something, and then uh, Barsha finally tracked him down. And don't forget, Mookie was right in the mix at the uh, the first half of that race as well. But Barsha ended up getting it done. And after a few really rough seasons for Barsha, it was great to see him bounce back. As uh, he mentioned to Steve Mathis several times in this uh, offseason, this is a contract year for Barsha. And, yes, he's been racing for a while. Uh, he made his – 450 debut in 2013 so he's a veteran now uh you wonder how much longer he wants to do this uh he's he's been one of the highest paid riders uh comparatively in his for his entire career so that's great for him and you wonder if he's willing to do it for substantially less money uh one way to ensure that he doesn't have to make that decision go out and crush it in 2020 he goes out and wins races and puts himself at the front uh, whether it's you know Monster Energy Yamaha or whoever, someone's going to want his services for 2021 and beyond. So it's really up to him. He's he's acutely aware of it, and uh, we'll see how that translates into results. It's not going to be easy, though. Uh, this class is so stacked. So it's going to be up to him to make it happen. Uh, I like when guys are transparent, and they know that they need to, to get it done, and they know that what they've been doing maybe hasn't been enough. So I like to see where how that translates and what, what happens there. Next up, seventh spot, I have Blake Baggett. He was your 2019 Glendale Supercross winner. That was the first one of his career, so that was awesome. I was there, and the team, the Rocky Mountain KTM WPS team was going crazy, which they should. Uh, that's That was a really cool moment for, for Forrest and Michael Byrne and, of course, Blake. And then uh, the rest of the season was great. He, I think he had five podiums maybe uh, overall, so that's pretty solid. Uh, he had a chance at a few more wins. He just uh, – Cooper Webb edged him out a few times. He just wasn't quite there, but still incredible results. And then, man, the outdoor season was was difficult. He did win that moto at High Point, which was cool. Kind of really unexpected, to be honest, I think, for everybody. And then he was uh, he was suffering from some sort of illness uh, and, and pulled out of the outdoor series on, in the second half of it. And we really haven't seen much from him ever since. He took a lot of time off. He had a baby. Well, his wife had a baby. And uh, he just he goes into this lockdown mode at his property where you won't see him. He's just doing laps and, and doing the training and putting in the work. So 
I've been asked several times how I think this is going to go for him. And I don't know. I haven't been, uh, I haven't been in Florida watching him ride. I am really just uh, as clueless as the next guy. Sure, I ask questions, but you always get the standard, oh, man, he's killing it. He's going so fast. He's going to be great. That's always the answer, right? Um, he's healthy. He should be good. But I will say that January, well, let's say Anaheim 1 specifically, has never really been great for Blake. It's always been a struggle. I'm in that truck all day, and uh, he just he seemed to struggle with settings, and he never feels comfortable, and he's getting arm pump, and all these bad things are seeming to happen at A1 for him. So hopefully he can work through that and have a somewhat of a calm day at Anaheim 1 and, and avoid just – I mean, literally every time he came off the bike, you know, it was just shaking his head, and they're going back to the drawing board every single time, which you don't want that at A1. You want it to just be like, yep, the bike's good. I just need to sort out the track and get a good start and good things will happen. And that's just really not been the case for Blake year in and year out. So there's another chance at it here in a couple of days. Let's see how it uh, shakes out though. Just above Blake. And this is where it gets a little controversial. I have Adam Cincerillo and yes, you're right. You're going to say, how the heck can you have Adam Cincerillo and his rookie 450 series race? Yes. He won the monster cup. This is his first ever AMA monster energy, supercross race on a 450. So you, now you've put him ahead of guys like Barsha and Baggett and these guys. I did. And I'll tell you why I think he's coming in hot. I think he's coming in with, I don't want to say expectation, but a lot of momentum. I think he truly believes that he can run up front with these guys, even if he's not voicing it, which I think is really important. I think he's been very smart with how he's gone about vocalizing his confidence. I think he's supremely confident. I just think he's been internal with that. And I think he's going to release that when it comes on Saturday. I think, you know, his speed has never been in question. And I think you're going to see that on uh, Saturday afternoon and time qualifying. I think he's going to be getting after it at the top of the board. And, uh, you know, he's been riding with Ken Roxon a ton, so he knows what the, the expected pace is. He's, he's not going to be surprised by what it takes really all you're wondering is can he stay calm enough and avoid any, you know, silly mistakes that have befallen him before. We've seen it in Anaheim last year, triple crown. He was just all over the place in a couple of those. Uh, so it's really going to be just managing mentally, you know, what he, you know, if, if he's running around in sixth or seventh, don't freak out. Like you're, you're in the midst of some really fast dudes, but I don't think that's going to be the case. I think he's going to get great starts and be riding right at the front and it's going to be, can he, you know, avoid the front and wash out or avoid a big mistake. So I am quietly, um, very bullish on Adam Cincerillo. Uh, we'll see what happens. He's going to be exciting though. No matter what, I, I don't think you're going to get a boring, eh, so, so race from Adam. I think it's going to be a little bit of boom or bust. I just think that's the speed he's working with right now. And, uh, Man, he's always been that kid ever since. I've been watching him race since he was four years old on a Cobra running around. So I think that's what you're going to get from him. I don't see why he would ever change that or, or a 450 would have any any real difference on that. The interesting thing there will be if he does come out firing and he's just crushing it coming in you know, in the, in the early rounds of January, how does that affect Eli Tomac or the team dynamic? Because remember, that team's always been kind of the – the A and the B, right? The rider one and rider two, where all of the emphasis goes on to Tomac to win. And then they've had, you know, whether it's the RV and Jake Weimer or uh, Josh Grant's obviously been there for several years. Joey Savacci last year, great riders, 
no doubt about it. But they also were not paid to the level of expectation where they're supposed to be to Eli Tomac. You know, their Eli Tomac's probably paid, I don't know, ten times more than those guys are, and that's a that's a realistic guess. Cincerello probably got a little bit more money than that. Um, but how does that dynamic play out? Does does Adam become more of a one A? you know, 1A and 1B versus the the one and the, the hard two there. So uh, that'll be something to watch, the team dynamic. And can Eli mentally just keep it together if Cincerillo is crushing it because he's never really had to deal with that. And and if we know one thing, Eli seems – he's just uh, – man, what's the word here? Susceptible. There we go. Susceptible to mental struggles. If if things aren't going well in some races, if he's faced, faced adversity – at times he comes out and just crushes everyone and blows through the field. And other times it's like, Eli, what are you doing? Like you, Arlington last year was one of the weirdest races I've ever seen in my life. He faded all the way to 12th place for no reason at all. I mean, he was getting passed by guys that have no business being anywhere near him. Same thing with, you know, you can go back to New Jersey in 2017, which really, I mean, that was kind of the title deciding race where Ryan Dungey sealed the fate of that series and it was just such a strange race and he's had a lot of those um and i i am 100 convinced that that's that's a mental thing uh so it'll be in it'll be curious to see if sincerely has any effect there uh, i don't have any answers for it just we're all kind of wait and see but it will be interesting next up i have zach osborne now wacko zacko is one of my favorite riders if i'm allowed to be biased he does wear fly racing, so there's that's a big part of it, as does Blake Baggett. But I like Zach. I like what he's about. I like what he stands for. I like, you know, uh, just him as a person. I've gotten the chance to practice with him. I love that he's so all in on the motocross of nations. All those things are off the track stuff. The on the track stuff, I love his work ethic, um, the training side. He is just not willing to. He he will get after it as far as all off season. He is a hundred percent committed. He is such a perfect fit for Alden Baker's program because it's a lot of work and it's a hundred percent dedication. You cannot be, uh, you know, half in on, on an Alden Baker program. It just doesn't work. So I hope, I hope for big things for Zach Osborne. Uh, last year, I think he was on schedule to have a huge season and he injured himself in December, which was a bummer. Um, it really set him back and it's tough. I, you know, for all you listeners out there, you really haven't gone through this, but that off season is everything for how you're going to perform when it comes to the season. If you go into the season unprepared, it's so hard to ever catch up. You just don't have any time to really put a ton of work in and the races just keep coming. There's no break. It's weekend after weekend after weekend. Look at Chad Reed in 2018. He came in way underprepared on the, his own Husky program. And you saw it. It was just, it was horrible, right? I mean, for him, for what he's capable of, he was nowhere near that. Uh, and then that was kind of Zach last year too. He he did a ton of work, right, in, in November. And then he got hurt in December. And when he showed back up, he wasn't really where he wanted to be. He had been off the bike for about two months or, or maybe a little less. But he just lost all that fitness base and all that hard work just kind of went to the wayside and he almost started back from zero. So I'm curious to see what a full offseason looks like coming in for Zach. Remember, he won lots of titles on the 250 and then didn't really get a fair shake at it last year. Bounced back outdoors and was, you know, he won motos, right? He was in the mix and then uh, unfortunately 
hurt himself again at Millville and took himself out of the uh, the championship or just before Millville, excuse me. But uh, I think I honestly think he's going to win races this year. One thing with Zach though, he is prone to making a mistake. He, he he's full send all the time, and on a 450 that can bite you. Over 17 rounds, man, it, it takes a lot to not have a big crash here or there. Uh, it's just almost the name of the game. You just hope that it's not something that sets you back points-wise or injury-wise. But uh, I put Zach kind of in that Adam Cincerillo mold where they're going to go for it. And, you know, the, the only other thing with Zach is his starts really struggled last year. So he wasn't in a position to win or podium as much as he could have been where Adam Cincerillo, I think, will be. Adam's a great starter. I think that's a huge advantage he has over Zach. But then again, I know Zach has been aware of that problem, and I know they've been working on getting better at it. So that's where, you know, a lot of change can be made as the offseason. They can make bike changes. They can do lots of things to solve problems. If, if you can identify it, you can put in all the work in November and December to solve the problem, whether equipment-wise, technique-wise. Um, with those grid starts now, a lot of it is, is equipment. Uh, you see the KTMs uh, and Huskies worldwide because of the grid. They have something figured out there. And it's not just here. Like I said, it's MXGP as well. They use grid starts there. And there's so much work done electronically with the ECUs to get them off of that grid. Basically, you know, they can, they can set their bikes up to where they hold it to a certain RPM. Or they can even set it to where they hold the bike wide open. And it will only rev to a certain limit. And it takes a lot of the guessing game out of it for the riders. Uh, all of you out there that have ever raced, you know how it is when you're on the starting line. You're you're revving your bike, and sometimes you rev it a lot. Sometimes you rev it a little. You don't really ever know what's the ideal rev. You're kind of guessing at it and whatever you feel comfortable doing. For these guys on factory equipment, they have it all set. They take all the guessing game out of it, and they know exactly where the ideal RPM is, and they go right to that. And then, then it's all about you know, how do they, how do they, uh, beat the guy next to him as far as clutch release and, uh, you know, positioning of their weight and all that stuff. And some of it's, I'm sure horsepower too. Um, but whatever it is with the KTM and the Huskies, they've got to figure it out because globally they get good starts all the time. And, uh, one of the riders we get in, we're getting into here in a minute. I'll talk more on that. Next up, I have Jason Anderson and I have a lot of question marks with Jason Anderson don't forget he was your 2018 Monster Energy Supercross champion. What an incredible series he had. I mean, unreal. I did not see that coming. I'll be the first to uh, first to tell you I had, would have never guessed that that guy was going to win the Supercross championship. I thought he'd be good. I actually called him for the 2016 Anaheim win uh, just from what I'd heard at the test track. But to win a series, man, you have to be so incredibly good over such a long period. And that's just not – something I thought Anderson would get to. And he, he dang sure did. He, he crushed it. That, I mean, in January, he was so much better than everybody fitness wise, consistency wise. He built up such a lead. I mean, he didn't really have to do anything crazy down the stretch. You know, I remember races like Foxborough, he was just cruising. Like he, he was in third place and there were a lot of injuries. Don't get me wrong, but you know, Tomac and Marvin Muscan were killing each other at the front and Anderson was just cruising, cruising to third, you know, podium finishes and seemingly making it easy. I mean, he didn't have any pressure on him at all. So I don't think we're going to go back to that. I don't think he's going to be your, your 2020 supercross champion. I've been wrong before granted. 
Uh, but, but I think he's going to be hot and cold. I think he'll have great races where he's just feeling it. You go back to Glendale last year where, you know, he takes out Roxon in the heat race and then he leads a lot of the main event. Uh, Blake Baggett had a fantastic night grabbing that win, but Anderson was certainly in the mix and led a ton of that race and, and arguably was the fastest guy for most of the night. So I think you're going to see nights like that, but I think you're also going to see nights where it's just not coming together. You know, Anaheim won last year was a, just a train wreck for him. Uh, yes, it was muddy, but he looked, he just looked off all day. So I think you'll see a little bit of hot and cold from him. Um, that's just my projection, you know, and, and motivation comes into that. And I think he's having more fun now than he's ever had, which is great. But man, to, I think if you're all in and you're only, you know, your only priority is to win at this level, I don't know how much fun there is to be had. I've just been around it. I've been around a lot of guys and the guys that are putting in so much the work that it takes to win and be that committed to it. Sorry, but funds fun takes a backseat. So we'll see. We'll see how it turns out. Next up, I have Ken Roxon. I battled with he and Cooper Webb for this third spot. Uh, the only reason I have Roxon third is because really, well, Cooper Webb was your champ last year and Roxon's um, illness last summer. I just don't know where he's at. Is that fully healed? Is that done? I don't know. Um, you know, he's been... I don't want to say um, not forthcoming because he's really transparent. I love the fact that Kenny's not scared to tell it how it is, but he really hasn't ever come out and said, yes, this is what I was sick with. This is what we did to fix it. And I'm all good. He really hasn't done that. Uh, he says they've got it under control. He said they've got it figured out, but that's a little different from just saying, well, you know, it, it was illness X and this is what the treatment was. And yeah, it's all cured. You know, that that's a little bit of a difference there. So, I think that they're managing it and they're hoping that it doesn't flare up or get worse or come back, which is a little scary, right? You're, you have such a grueling season ahead of you, you know, you're doing 17 rounds and 18 weekends and then turn right around and do 12 outdoor nationals throughout the summer. That's, it takes such a brutal toll on your body. You know, I did it for 16 years and yes, I was not at the level of Ken Roxon, but I still was racing. I still was lined up right next to those guys. And man, you just, you get put through a meat grinder. I mean, it just never seems like it ends not to mention all the days of practicing and training and all the stuff that goes on through the week too. So how does his body hold up to that? Can he be strong that entire time? I don't know. We're going to have to see. Um, and that's really why I have him third when, he could arguably be, you know, higher up than that. I do think he's going to come out strong at a one. He is my choice or my pick to win the Anaheim opener. Uh, he's done it several times in the past. He does not seem to be phased by pressure. Uh, I don't, I just don't think that really ever really gets to him. The bright lights of Anaheim, it's kind of so what for him. And he is a really great starter. And if you let him get out front, uh, he can, he can just run away with it. Uh, we've seen him do it on a Honda. We've seen him do it on a Suzuki. We've seen him do it on a KTM. Although the KTM was, he didn't really run away, but he's certainly won Anaheim one on a KTM. So let's what, let's wait and see. But again, he's my, my pick for the a one win. The last two guys, Cooper Webb is the number two spot. And you're going to say, how do you have Cooper Webb number two when he's your defending champ? Simple. Uh, I just think Eli Tomac is going to make it happen this year. Cooper Webb was phenomenal last year. I mean, to, to do what he did coming off of two brutal years at Yamaha, man, I have all the respect in the world for that guy. 
Uh, he bounced back and there, I don't know of many riders in the history of the sport that are mentally tougher than Cooper Webb. Uh, sometimes his confidence, I, <laughs> it blows me away. Cause I'm like, man, why is he that confident? Like I, what I'm watching him ride, like he's really good, but he acts like no one could ever beat him, you know, ever. And I think there's a lot to be said for that. Some of these guys, Chad Reed was a guy like that where, man, mentally you just can't beat them down, you know, especially if they get on a roll like Cooper Webb did in 2019, <laughs> you can't stop them. And, and Cooper Webb just feeds off of confidence so much. Uh, he just gets rolling and then you couldn't, you can't tell him that you're better than him. He, he won't believe it. He, he'll never believe that. And it just breeds more and more confidence. And then the results turn. And we saw it time and time again in the 250 class where in the outdoor championships, especially he would just get on a roll mid season. And then it was just lights out. Once he, once he figured out whatever was going on with the bike or his fitness or whatever, he, he would just, it was like a light switch. And then it was over for everybody. Like he, they could not shake his confidence or break his confidence. So that'll be interesting to see 2020. Does he come in brimming with that 2019 confidence that he had last, last year? Because the out, you know, the outdoor series wasn't all that great. He was pretty good, but he certainly wasn't the best guy. So does he immediately switch back on to that 2019 Supercross Cooper Webb that we saw where, you know, he's calling out Adam Cianciarillo at the, the Las Vegas press conference and all that kind of stuff. That's the Cooper Webb that we saw on the 250. So that's what I'll be looking for. I will say the biggest asset that Cooper Webb had in 2019 was his starts. They were so consistent and so great, and they dug him out of a hole every single time he found himself in trouble. Because most of you guys, I know you're not at the races, and I've been blessed to be at these races for you know 30 or 40 years or whatever it's been. So I get to watch every practice. I get to watch all these time qualifying um, sessions, and there were so many times last year where Webb was just way off, and I mean way off. And you, you know, that was the talk in the pits was like, well, it's finally time for Webb to have a bad night. And, you know, someone's going to make up a ton of points on him because he cannot get through the whoops or he just looks terrible. He just doesn't have it today. However you want to phrase it that he just didn't have it. And then all of a sudden the, the lights turn on, go through opening ceremonies and he goes out and he whole shots the heat race or whatever. It makes it happen. And then in the main event, he just kills everybody or at least gets on the podium. And, and you're just like, man, is this guy ever going to have a night where he gives up points or is just vulnerable? And he just was never that guy. So that was cool to see. I give him a ton of credit for being so resilient on those tough days because, and it's really hard to, to pick yourself back up after a really tough day and wipe all of that, that frustration off and just start over for the night show. And I saw him do it time and time again. Um, where he needed to get the start. The track wasn't working out for him. The whoops were really tough. It just wasn't his night. And then he would get a great start in the main event, specifically put himself up front and then pull out a podium where everything was looking against him. So can he do that again in 2020? That's the biggest question I have for Webb. Is he going to be great? Yes. Is he going to be fast? Yes. But to win the championship again, he's going to have to have really good nights on his bad nights, because I think you're going to see guys better than ever this year. I think you're going to see a better Ken Roxon. I think you're going to see a better Eli Tomac. You have rookies coming in like Adam Cincerillo. You've got a, a healthy Zach Osborne don't, who don't forget is Cooper Webb's training partner. So, and I I've heard they're very, very close in speed and fitness and everything. So 
that's uh, another guy he's going to have to contend with. We did lose Marvin Muskan for the series, so that certainly helps his chances a little bit. But uh, I certainly think Webb can repeat. I just think it's a tall task because he's going to have to have a carbon copy of those those days where everything looks like it's going to go wrong, and he's going to walk out of there with like an eighth-place finish. Nope. He's just too strong mentally for that and, and does it when it counts, and he walks out of there with a you know a first or a third or whatever. So something to watch out for with Webb. Last but not least, man, this guy, he should have several Supercross titles, in my opinion. I really, truly believe that. Uh, and yes, you can you can push back and say, well, sorry, they don't hand those out. You have to go earn them. But you look back at the 2017 season, the 2018 season, the 2019 season, and look how many races the guy won. Look how dominant he was at times. And it's just unbelievable that he doesn't even have one Supercross championship yet. I mean, the guy's won 27 Supercross races. That's crazy. I don't know of anybody that's ever won that many. I think he has more than Wyndham and Bradshaw on those guys by quite a bit to still not have a title. Is this going to be his year? I think it is. Um, You know, they announced that they're having a baby. Uh, I think there's a level of maturity that he's going to come in. You know, he's been around for for quite a while now, Um, and it's got to be weighing on him. And if you really go back and look at, what's gone on every year for him. It's really been struggling in January. That's cost him. Uh, I mean, he's been okay at times in January. Last year, his four January races were three, four, three, four. That's not terrible, right? Um, but if you go back to 2018, he DNA or got 22nd place at a one. And then he didn't even race the Houston round, which was second. Uh, so he was in a massive hole going into the third round. 2017 was pretty average, but I went back and looked at his January races over the years and his average finish is 5.1. And that's not counting the race. He did, wasn't even able to attend at Houston. 5.1 is way off of his series average. Once he gets rolling, you know, Feb, especially like March, April, he's almost unstoppable, but he's digging, he's digging himself such a hole that he's got to be almost perfect down the stretch. He's putting so much pressure on himself that there is no room for error whatsoever. And guys like Anderson and Cooper Webb and Ryan Dungey, they're the benefactors of that. So if I was in Eli Tomac's camp, if I was had any part of helping him, or if I talked to John, John Tomac regularly, or anybody wanted my opinion, which they don't, I would tell them, hey, focus on making January solid. Last year was better, 3-4. I, mean, I can't remember if it was 3-4, 3-4, or 4-3, 4-3. But either way, he was right around that 3-4 spot the whole month of January. That's not bad. It's okay. But when you're talking about Eli Tomac, you're almost shocked that he doesn't have a win in there somewhere. So can you be solid? Can you stay around the podium if it's not going all that well and maybe grab a win in there somewhere? Because I truly feel that if he leaves the month of January with the red plate, I don't think they're ever getting it back from him. I think once he finds his groove in the series, he's shown that he's really hard to beat, if not impossible. And I think if they let him get through the first half of the series solid and and in control of the series, it's over. Uh, I don't have any evidence to back that up because he's never done it. But I do think that is really what's missing is just building any sort of momentum early in the series where he's not trying to play catch up. He's played, he's had to do that every single year and it hasn't worked out. He just is, he's made one mistake 
down the stretch that's cost him. He's won a ton of races. Don't get me wrong, but you have to, he's making it where he has to be perfect. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. I know, you know, they have a lot of smart people over there and this probably isn't breaking news to any of them, but I do believe that identifying weaknesses and if, and really looking at the why of, of, you know, why this hasn't happened, why am I, have I not been Supercross champion and really digging deep into that and looking at analytically of what the results are looking at and, and how can we fix it? Even if we don't just dominate January and February, incremental, you know, small improvements in January and February could mean the difference. So watch for that. But I, he is my pick to, uh, to win the Supercross championship. So that's my, uh, that's my first week power ranking. Um, we will talk two fifties a little bit, but honestly, we're still kind of waiting to see who shows up. I think Dylan Ferrandis and Forkner will both be on the West. That'll be a great showdown. If that is the case, uh, man, you talk about a powerhouse West coast at the top. Anyway, um, both of those guys are going to put on a hell of a show similar to what Ferrandis and Cincerillo did, uh, last season. So that'll be fun. Forkner's bounce back from his, uh, his big injury and, uh, at Nashville last year, costing him a title. So that'll be fun. Um, if you guys want to email me questions, uh, I was hoping to get this, um, these intros out sooner so you guys could email me for this episode, but please email me Jason 36 at AOL.com. I'm sure I'm going to piss some of you guys off of this podcast and you'll disagree and that that's fine. It's all conversation, right? I love to have debate. So tell me what you want to hear about. Tell me where I'm wrong. Tell me where I'm right. Uh, give me some suggestions for things and I'll certainly read some of those emails, uh, on next week's podcast. Fantasy wise, uh, the big thing for Anaheim, if you are playing, and I'm sure a lot of you that listens to this janky podcast will be playing Pulp Max Fantasy, my best advice to you for this first round, pick guys that are going to qualify. You need eight, you need to have eight guys in the main event, right? And I, that seems very basic. You obviously get eight picks, but getting all eight guys in the, in the Anaheim main event isn't always easy. Anaheim's always chaotic. But just get yourself off to a decent start. You don't have to go out and win the first weekend or swing for the fences. More than likely, you're going to be really upset because the field is so deep at Anaheim. If you if you take some wild swings at riders qualifying, they, they're going to be watching the main event right alongside you. And that's not any fun. Trust me, I've been there many, many times. So focus on getting eight guys in. Even if you have to go a little conservative, maybe you give up you know five or ten points here or there. But getting yourself off to a good start Hey, almost like Eli Tomac, you don't have to win the first round, but if you get off to a good start, it's going to be much uh, a much better road to stay near the front than it is to try to play catch up. Because trust me, I've done this. If you go down early, you get more aggressive, and then that only breeds more wild picks and and more frustration. Because these guys that are on the fence of qualifying, <laughs> it's wild. The LC, these LTQs are crazy. They crash, they don't get in, and then you get zero points out of that guy. So check it out. Make your picks. Uh, email me. We'll, we'll have our fantasy podcast that will be coming out this week too, so check that out. Um, but send me your fantasy questions too. And then uh, technique stuff. That's something, you know, I used to have this column called Breakdown. Well, I still have a column called Breakdown, but it's changed in format. At one point, it was a lot of technique stuff, what I saw on the weekends, and just cool stuff that I thought – you know, your average rider could benefit from learning how to do that or what they could practice or how the heck a guy did that on the weekend or why maybe they chose to, to attack a section a certain way. Uh, I'd like to get into a little of that on this podcast. 
whether it starts or, um, you know, what makes Cooper Webb a little bit less uh, racy in the whoops than, say, a guy like Ken Roxon or Adam Cincerillo. We can certainly talk about some of that, and, and some of that's bike setup too. Um, so I'd love to dive into a little bit of that. If you guys have specific questions, hit me up. Uh, I do want to talk about our sponsors some. Um, man, I'm really, really happy that Pirelli Tires is back involved in racing. Uh, I ended my career on Pirelli Tires, and those guys are all in when it comes to racing. And it's crazy to me here when I talk to consumers and average riders because they're not that familiar with Pirelli's uh, off-road lineup. And if, you, if you've ever been to to Europe to ride or even on vacation or you've been to MXGP or these races, I mean, Pirelli dominates over there. They, they win everything. And if you ask, you know, well, I shouldn't say that. If, if I've had many people ask me, like, why is Pirelli not everywhere or prominent in the U.S. You know, uh, industry as far as choice? And I don't really have a great answer. Uh, I just think it's uh, market driven, and you know, these other companies are are struggling to catch up uh, a little bit. But as far as performance, uh, those guys think everyone's crazy for not using Pirelli. One of the key aspects for them is they race what they sell. Uh, the tires that you know Jeffrey Hurlings is racing with coming up here at Matterway Basin in a couple months will be the same tires you could go out and buy at your local dealership. Uh, Western Power Sports is a distributor for them, so I'm obviously close to that situation, but that's a really cool aspect. For those of you who have never been able to ride on a spec tire versus you know a certain company's production stuff, they're nowhere close. The performance difference is miles apart. And yes, you're giving up some some durability there too. That's that's the big reason. But to have a high performance tire that's also sold to, you know, sold at the marketplace, you're, you're getting the best of both worlds. That's a really cool aspect that other brands just aren't doing. So I would challenge you to go out and try a Pirelli tire. I think you're going to be blown away. I would say the mid soft, uh, Scorpion 32 front, um, and this is going back to 2012. So they may have made some adjustments to it now. Um, hopefully I didn't misspeak there, but that was the best front tire for, let's say, loose conditions, especially if the track's been watered, that I've ever used in my entire life. Bar none, it's not even close. I honestly couldn't even believe how good the traction was with that front tire in those conditions. So give it a try if you've never tried it. Uh, there, there are a lot of options out there, but I'm telling you right now, you'll, you'll be really happy with Pirelli. Other uh, sponsor of this, Blenzol Lubricants. And many of you, if you've been around Moto for a long time, You've heard of Blenzol. You saw it maybe in, um, you know, drag racing or some other aspects of, of motorcycle racing or car racing, but Blenzol has been around forever. Uh, they underwent some new ownership. So they're really on a mission to revive that brand and get back in front of consumers. Uh, they have all kinds of great products and, and honestly where they're, they really make their mark is on the two stroke side. They have so many great, you know, premix products and um, just every possible uh, combination for for two stroke needs. So check it out. Um, green green label is one that I've been um, really looking into as far as a uh, premix two cycle castor oil. The cool thing about Blenzol is they do all of their own. Uh, they make all their own products in-house. So they're not outsourcing anything. So they have control over the, the quality of all that stuff. Uh, there are a lot of brands out there that outsource it and, you know, they're, they're private labeling, not the case with Blenzol that makes them pretty unique. So check them out. 
go to go to Blenzel, go check them out online. Um, they're going to make a big push to get back into this thing. Uh, they are a really proud. There's a proud history there. There's a heritage that I've only recently learned about that goes back decades. Uh, so, so some of you have been around for a long time. You're going to be, you know, like, oh man, of course, you know, and it's funny. I, now that I've been actually looking for it, I see the blends all logo all over the place. I see it on, you know, especially if I go back through history, man, that stuff was everywhere. And that's where they're striving to get back to. Um, I think the, uh, the two stroke side with the revival of all the, the two stroke, you know, motorcycles out there is a great flight, great place for them to get started and a great, um, place for them to hang their hat. So please give them a look. And then of course, fly racing, man, my life, uh, <laughs> my life pretty much revolves around that brand. Um, I spend most of my waking hours worrying about it, stressing about it, working on it, talking about it. Um, but man, what a great company. I love being there. Uh, it gave me a career. It gave me a, a second life in this sport. And, uh, I'm so proud and passionate of it. Uh, our new formula helmet has been a home run. And honestly, for me, uh, to be able to talk with consumers and for our brand to be able to, we're, we're really able to provide a product that keeps people safer. Uh, we've really innovated with that helmet and, and I can truly transparently talk to parents and say, Hey, this helmet will do a better job of keeping your child safe than what I feel is out of the market. And you know, that that's something I don't take lightly. It's, uh, it's something that, you know, keeping people safe while they're enjoying this great great sport is, is paramount, right? That's the one thing we hate about the sport is the injuries. So it's really cool and really exciting for me to be a part of that brand where we have a product that's that great. If you want to check it out, uh, obviously go to flyracing.com. Uh, but we will have all sorts of cool stuff about the formula helmet at the supercross races upcoming. Um, you can go to formula.flyracing.com to learn more about it. Um, but man, please email me with questions about the brand. I love talking about it as it's obviously all I do all day, but I don't get, I don't get bored with it. Um, and honestly, you know, we're only going to grow from here. I, I still think our best days are far ahead of us. So that's really exciting. As for Anaheim, um, it's going to be interesting. Uh, for those of you who have never been to Anaheim, I would implore you to put it on your bucket list. And I get it, man. Finances and, and all that stuff are a big, a big part of the equation. But if you can ever work it out to make it to Anaheim one year, uh, I don't think you'll ever regret it. Hopefully the weather works out for you. That's always iffy at Anaheim. But there is no atmosphere for a Supercross race that is like Anaheim. Uh, Motocross of Nations, I would say, is, is similar. Uh, but the electricity of Anaheim, man, you, it's palpable. Like you can literally feel the anticipation and the excitement in the air. And honestly, there aren't many other supercrosses where that's even close. I guess it's a super a championship weekend. If the 450 title is up for grabs, maybe, but everywhere you go, you just see people that are just on the edge of their seat. They're so amped to be there. They're, the pits are just packed. You can barely move in the pits at all. There's all these new, new, there's new gear. There's new graphics, all the, you know, which everybody's new numbers. There's all these cool things to check out. Uh, all the sponsors have all their new stuff to, to see in the pits. And then everybody gets out on the track and, you know, with, for the riders, everybody's going into Anaheim thinking this is my year. And they're just in full send mode in practice because they've had, you know, three months of buildup leading up to this. And it's a new season and a new year. And, you know, I'm going to turn it around and all those things, uh, that we all, you know, think are going to happen. It's generally the same guys year in and year out, but there's no race where 
you know, there is more hope, let's say, the Anaheim. And you, like I said, you can really feel it. It's just in the air. It's in, it's in the atmosphere and it translates into everybody that's there, whether it's a fan or a mechanic or a rider. Um, it's the same for everybody and it makes it such a unique, awesome experience. So, uh, I think it's going to be more of the same when you look at Anaheim, usually the series champion does not win. Uh, only seven times out of the last 20 years has that happened. I actually did this, the research this morning. So in other words, 13 times out of 20 Anaheim one winner does not go on to win the series. So that makes it cool too, because you get, you almost can expect the unexpected. I would have never guessed in a million years that Justin Barsha was going to win Anaheim one. Never, ever, ever. So he went out and got it done. Uh, didn't obviously, you know, pay off in the series, but it still makes for a really unexpected result. Dean Wilson led for 16 minutes last year. No one saw that coming. I mean, he, he wasn't, he wasn't even on a team going into that race last year. So that's cool. It just adds to the, uh, the whole a one thing. So you can almost wait for the gate to drop and, and just kind of wonder, well, who's it going to be this year? Who's going to step up? You know, like look at Josh Grant in 2009. No one would have ever thought Josh Grant was going to win Anaheim one. He certainly did though. Davey Millsaps, uh, 2013 goes out and wins. Unbelievable, right? Just crazy. Who would have ever thought Davey and Trey Kennard were going to battle for that win, but uh, that's just Anaheim one. So like I said, uh, that'll be fun to see what goes on. Um, my, my guess, I think Ken Roxon gets the whole shot and wins. Uh, Cooper Webb may have something to say about that, but, um, yeah, you got to pick somebody, right? I think that Dylan Ferrandis will be your 250 winner. Uh, but man, I don't know. It only because I don't know where Austin Forkner is as far as his recovery. I haven't seen him ride at all. If I had to guess, I would say he's going to be really fast, but I think Ferrandis is coming in confident and, and almost over-prepared. So we'll see how that shakes out too. But this has been industry seating episode one. I appreciate everybody listening. Uh, I'm going to get better at this. This is the first one I've ever done by myself. And I actually didn't hit pause this entire time, which is unbelievable. I didn't think I'd be able to do that. I didn't stop it. I didn't pause it. I didn't have to go back. I didn't have to change anything. I didn't curse. Um, but I want to thank everybody for making this happen. I want to thank Steve Mathis, uh, for helping me get this thing off the ground. I want to thank Swizzcore for walking me through my stupid questions. I want to thank Travis Marks. I want to thank, uh, all my employers. I want to thank racer X. I want to thank my parents. Um, so yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna have fun with this thing. Like I said, please email me, let me know what you want to hear because this, this is just me. I can do whatever I want with this thing within reason. So we can, we can adjust it. We can change it. We can talk about what you want to talk about. Um, I want to have fun with this thing. I don't want it to be boring. I'm a podcast nerd. I listen to podcasts all day at work when I'm not in a meeting. Um, so I'm super into it and I want to make it entertaining for you guys too. So let's do it. Thanks guys. See you.